A fragile calm has returned to global bond and stock markets after weak and unexpected US jobs growth halted a rise in wholesale interest rates to 16-year highs. Oil prices are down 5% this morning. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, we have part two of our chat with ANZ's chief economist for Greater China, Raymond Jung, about the 40th anniversary of the Hong Kong dollar's peg to the US dollar and where it goes next. In the past, it is basically very conventional, you know, financial architecture. But in the future, it is leaning towards more the digital era. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Number one, US private sector jobs, as measured by the payrolls firm ADP, rose by just 89,000 in September. That was barely half what markets were expecting, and only half the growth seen in August. That turned around the ongoing sell-offs in bond and stock markets globally. Before the ADP numbers came out, the US 10-year Treasury yield hit a new 16-year high of 4.88%. By afternoon trade in New York, the 10-year was back down at 4.74%. That meant the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were back up again, up 0.3% and 0.7% respectively. The Aussie and Kiwi dollars, they were also off their overnight lows by this morning at 63.2 and 59.1 US cents respectively. Oil prices, though, the big mover, down almost 5% this morning. Brent down to $87 a barrel and West Texas down at $85 a barrel. It really was all about the ADP numbers overnight. Here's ANZ's head of G3 Economics, Brian Martin, talking from London this morning. The market took the data as evidence that the economy is slowing and that the FOMC will not need to raise interest rates at the November 1 uh, meeting, which is coming up in a few weeks' time. So it rallied. Uh, We saw some of the selling pressure in fixed income markets ease and equity stabilised in what I would call a very fragile camp. Number two. Earlier overnight, the US 30-year Treasury bond yield, and remember that's the one underneath US mortgage rates, it rose over 5%, also a 16-year high. This week's sell-off in global bond markets has been a thing to behold. Here's Brian to explain why the moves have been so large. The FOMC sent a very clear signal that it is not going to be easing real interest rates anytime soon. The ECB reacted to a very small upward tweak in its headline inflation forecast and raised interest rates 25 basis points. And I think the signaling that we're getting from central banks is that they are really determined to get inflation under control. And in the economic environment we're in at the moment, uh, interest rates need to be higher. And I think the bond market is taking that on board now. Expectations of a quick pivot from central banks are no longer driving bond yields. Number three, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand held its official cash rate at 5.5% yesterday, as expected. Here's ANZ senior strategist David Croy to explain. So there was no obvious hint that the cash rate would need to rise in what they said. Um, But they did say that the interest rates would need to remain at restrictive levels for a Uh, a more uh, sustained period of time. So a little bit of an upgrade there in terms of the characterization there. So I would say that that's consistent with 
high for longer rather than higher for longer. And, and, and again, that's very consistent with what we've heard from other central banks this year. You know, So it's about pushing back on market expectations of policy being eased sometime in the future uh, rather than giving a strong signal uh, that, that policy needs to be tightened again and particularly not giving away any, any signal around the timing of that. Number four, there was some positive news yesterday from South Korea, where industrial production had the biggest gain in over three years, on the back of a surge in chips production. Here's ANZ economist for Asia, Crystal Tan. The August numbers were quite encouraging. There was a seasonally adjusted 5.5% month-on-month increase, so that broke the downtrend that we saw in the past couple of months. And it's notable that it was a surge in semiconductor production that was the key driver, thanks to demand for high-performance memory chips. Number five. But Crystal says the Asian recovery is far from certain, though. Well, it looks like South Korea's manufacturing sector has started to find a floor. But at the same time, I think headwinds to a robust recovery do remain, um, including the still elevated inventory to shipment ratio. And if you look at some of the other economic data that have been released also, like retail sales that softened a bit, facility investment that had remained sluggish. So overall, it's still challenging growth backdrop. Now it's time for our deep dive interview and part two of our discussion with Raymond Yung, marking the 40th anniversary of the Hong Kong dollar's peg to the US dollar. He saw its future as assured. I asked, though, if there would be any chance it could be pegged instead to the renminbi, now that Hong Kong is much more a part of China's state system. Hong Kong remains, from the Beijing point of view, a very important offshore financial centre. So there's no point for them to pack with the uh, renminbi. And in fact, if uh, many of the argument for Hong Kong dollar pack to be packed to uh, renminbi instead of the US dollar is primarily because of the sovereignty or sovereign uh, consideration and why you know the China needs to have its own within its own jurisdiction to pack with a foreign currency. But if you consider the role of Hong Kong as an offshore financial and it actually make more sense for it to pick with a global-based currency. And if they really want to push for renminbi internationalization, then there is already a CNH market that is uh, very liquid, you know, in the uh, offshore markets, particularly in Hong Kong banking sector. Uh, this is the uh, first argument I would see. And, and secondly, because this pick is already a, a very solid uh, establishment, and I noticed that uh, last year, that even the People's Bank of China and the HAMA, um, the two main regulators, they signed a currency swap agreement, you know, to fix this both renminbi and the Hong Kong dollar at a particular rate. Uh, it's not a one-one equivalent. Uh, it's nothing to do with uh, Hong Kong dollar had to pick with um, the uh, Chinese currency. But this is actually an acknowledgement that the uh, Beijing's actually really want to, the, the pack to stay so that they sign this uh, agreement and the swap line on a permanent basis. And uh, that's reflect that there is actually a, uh, I would think, that a political wish to uh, maintain this system. What's the future for the Hong Kong dollar in terms of how it develops and how it deals with things like digital currencies or blockchain? You, we have to acknowledge that, that the role of China, you know, in the global economy has changed in the, uh, dramatically in the past few years. But one thing which is uh, very clear is that uh, Hong Kong continues to play a very important role um, as an offshore financial center for China. 
uh, in a new era. Now, under the new regime, uh, we would think that uh, as China is trying to progress itself to be a very tech-oriented economy, and uh, also want to be more self-dependent in terms of managing themselves, then there might be some uh, consideration for uh, Hong Kong dollar to upgrade the uh, PEC system. I'm thinking about, you know, is that any way that Hong Kong uh, is now considering to upgrade the payment system so that it will be more compatible to the digital age, uh, as China also enter a uh, more tech-oriented uh, um, economic regime. And secondly, um, how uh, Hong Kong can make use of the development of uh, other technology in payments, namely blockchains. And also, you know, the, the uh, Hong Kong government started to uh, develop uh, the virtual asset market. How would Hong Kong dollar continue to play a role as a financial currency? In the past, it is basically a very conventional you know, financial architecture. But in the future, it is leaning towards more uh, the digital era. And uh, or I'm not using the term crypto, but I'm using more the term of a uh, new form of um, uh, virtual um, uh, financial era. Now, in, from this perspective, then I believe that this Hong Kong dollar pack also need to uh, evolve so that the um, uh, future architecture of this uh, monetary system will be more compatible to the future development of the international financial system. Raymond Yung there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Thursday, October the 5th. Catch you tomorrow with a preview of Friday night's all-important non-farm payrolls data from the US. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.